Colliding Worlds is sponsored in part by Always Here, now streaming on Amazon Prime, starring Jody Littman, Angela Romeo, and Steve Ciceron. Always Here. Some say the rules are made by the future, but in the LaFleur home, the past controls the future. Join them and the entire cast of Always Here. After all, a mother's love is forever. Now streaming on Amazon Prime. Hey everybody, it's Angela Valenti Romeo, and this is another edition of Colliding Worlds. And we always try to bring you something different and interesting. When I was a kid, and yeah, I'm old, so forget about that. There was a show called What's My Line? And people would sit there and they would try to guess what the person did by asking all these questions. And sometimes you meet people who you can't really define them by a job or one thing because they do so many things and they do so many of these things well. And that's kind of the case right now with uh, my guest today. He does a lot and he does it all well. And so if, what's my line? He would have really driven them crazy. And I want to bring to the stage Tom Mulligan. Welcome to Colliding Worlds, Tom. Uh, good morning, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on the show here. I think it's fun to have people who who do a variety of things. You're an actor, you're a writer, you do, you, you do all kinds of things. And as we talked earlier, Tom does something that I'm always really jealous of anybody who can do, and that's theater, because it's it's a, it's a scary thing to me. Um, you make a mistake and everybody knows it. With film, they can sort of cut around you. But sure. how, how do you how does you get into this? I mean, people people fall into things in the oddest ways. I mean, I fell into it because I happened to be standing there and someone said, you're up. And I'm like, whoa. I'm not here to do anything. I'm I'm just the innocent bystander. Right. How do you get involved? Well, it, it started actually it started this way. My I grew up in New York City in Hell's Kitchen. My mom was a theater actress, very good theater actress. And when I was about seven years old, one day she said, Hey Tommy, I have an audition at the Hudson Guild Theater. This is around 1955. And I want to take you with me. I want you to see what it's like. So I went with her to the audition and Lo and behold, they had a role for a kid in the play. And so basically they said, hey, uh, would you just like to be in the play? And my mom asked me and I said, okay. And basically um, I had one line. She was my mom in the show, a play called Street Scene. And my line, my one line was, hey, Ma, give me a dime. I want to buy a cone. The play took place in the 30s in New York. That's why you could get a cone for 10 cents. <laughs> Good luck getting that now. Good Five luck, bucks, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I did two, I think two more plays with my mom and then people saw me and I wound up doing another four plays separate from her. But by the time I was 10, all I was thinking about was baseball, basketball, hockey. I wanted to be a major league baseball player. That was my dream then. So acting stopped at 10. And then um, in my mid late twenties, I started thinking about it again, you know, it would pop up and, Actually, one day it was about uh, maybe 26, 27, 
I went, I saw, I, I got the, um, I still business newspaper in New York. And it was an audition for a play at a small theater. So I thought, you know what, I'm, I think I'm just going to go and audition. So I went just to do it. And they wound up offering me a role in the play. But I wasn't really ready to do it. And I said, well, I, yeah, I can't, I, whatever. I said, I can't do it. Uh, my schedule. And I kind of let it go. But then right before I turned 30, I kind of woke up one day and went, okay, I'm going to move back into New York. And I'm going to start doing this and pursuing this seriously. And that's pretty much the way it happened. So January of 1980, I moved back into New York City. <clears throat> Started taking classes and, you know, things like that. So classes are key i mean this is the one thing about being an actor you yeah. you never i don't believe you can ever stop growing and i think you know classes oh. classes are essential people i i listen to a lot of actors who are and i'll use the term okay they they consider themselves to be accomplished right. and if you say to them are you you know who are you studying with are you, are you know what classes are you taking like i don't need no stinking classes it's like really you really don't? Okay, good. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've always been in classes. Um, um, I mean, acting's not easy. And I'm always learning. I mean, I'm still learning. I mean, I just, in the last few weeks, just some things came up that I went, oh, okay. I really, I, yeah, I think I really get that now. You know, so I, as I started in 1980s. So it's been 45 years. It's a process, right? And you just... You know, over the years, you, you know, you're never fully there. You know what I mean? You just, you, you can always get better, especially at acting, because it's so hard. It's, 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 I'm sure, you know, right? When you get in front of a camera, it's not easy. And, but it's also not easy. And there's a difference. There is a big difference between, I think, between theater, live theater. Yes. And film or television. Yes. And the scary thing about theater is you make a mistake. Everybody knows, especially if it's a play, that everybody knows the lines, and you really can't move off of those lines. You've got to recover, and you've got to do it seamlessly. Or, God forbid, you're, you've got your lines nailed perfectly, but your your co-star makes a mistake or forgets their line. I mean, you're, you're much more vulnerable as a theater actor. Um, I think you're brave for doing it. <laughs> yeah, I can give you two examples that happened to me over the years. I was in a, well, first of all, True West, Sam Shepard play, right? In Pennsylvania, playing the role of Lee, the corrosive brother. Anyway, there's a scene where the producer is supposed to come in, right? And so we get to that point, but he's not in. He hasn't made his, uh, you know, he hasn't come on stage. So I said to my friend who was playing Austin, I said, Austin, I better go outside and see see if Saul's out there. So I go backstage and the guy who's playing Saul is leaning on the windowsill, looking at the moon. And I said, this, I said, Saul, you come on in. We, we, we've been waiting for, oh, he was, oh, oh. And I, I, we come back in and I go, yeah, he was out there looking at the moon. Oh, and then we just got right back into it. <laughs> You've got to, you've got to think quick. But when you're up there, and the audience is there, you think, oh, my God. So that worked. The really bad one was I was in a play. Uh, it was a new play. Okay, so people didn't know the lines and everything. And the guy who was playing my brother, we're in the scene, we're doing the scene, and he jumps to a monologue eight pages ahead. No. Yes. <laughs> that was panic. That was panic. And 
I, I mean, I, he, he does the monologue, right? <clears throat> and I don't know, somehow we were, I, we were able to get back into it, you know what I mean? Back to where we needed to be. But that was the worst. That was the worst moment ever. That was, that was panic. Yeah. Oh, I would, I would have panicked. I remember being I in high school. But you, but here's the thing, when you take a class and you and you yeah. practice your craft and acting is a craft, it trains you whether you realize it or not to pick up those moments. Uh, you know, uh, you, as an actor, you, you learn, you, you, you follow your character, you know, what's going on. Right. There's, there's a skill in improv. And that's basically what happened with you. You have to, you have to improvise and stay in character. Well, here, here's, here's what I've learned too over the years. Luckily I learned it quite a few years ago, but you have to know everything. You have to know the other characters. You have to know their lines. You have to know the scene, which really, it's not just about the lines, right? It's about the subtext, what's really going on there. So if you have all that and you did the work before and you're prepared, you're, you know, you're not thinking about it. That definitely helps a lot. You know, it's not just about saying lines and then you say and, your and, line, I say my line. Yeah, and that's the thing. What happened, it, it's everybody thinks you you they hand you a script and they go, Okay, go, and that's it. You know, oh, okay, they gave they gave the actor a script, the actor reads the lines, and that's the end all and the be all of it. And it's it's much more complicated than that. I mean, a, a really good actor, and I don't mean anybody who has to have won an Academy Award, but a right. good actor, I think, will have read and under understand the script, understand the character and understand them you understand the motivation of some of the other characters yes you have to you have to learn how to do script analysis you have to learn how to break down the script i mean so, some of it's pretty it's like what are the given circumstances what time of day is it where are you, where are you what's your relationship with that person or the other person you know what i mean there's basic things and then you know you can always go deeper but those are big like what are the given circumstances of the play the scene where are you what time of day is it you know, is it is it a beautiful day? Is it a rainy day? I mean, all these. I get a little crazy with it sometimes with my analysis, but you know, that's that's definitely part of it. Oh, it is. And then you look at some people's scripts, and they've got all kinds of notes on the side. And I'm like, I don't even know where you are. I, I right. work with some. I worked with an actor one time, and he was just the notes were just <clears throat> insane as far as I was concerned. But he he knew everything and he understood the character and the dialogue flowed was a much more natural flow of the dialogue. And, right. and that's, that's a hard thing to do. Now, you know, you're an actor, you've, you've been in, you've been in TV, you've been in theater, you've been in movies. Right. The dialogue has to seem real. Right. You know, I mean, I always, my favorite example of not real dialogue is the bad seed. The, because they were all theater actors and they played that movie like they were playing the theater. It was a lot of, oh, you know, over the top drama. Over the top, yeah, over, over the top, yeah. Um, it's, you, you know, like every time I do anything, whether it's film or theater, let's say film, right? Even though I've done so many films, every time I do a new film, it's still like, okay, can I do this? Can I pull this off? Can I be believable in the moment? Can I be in the moment? You know what I mean? Can I, you know, can I really deliver? And I'm always nervous about it. It's never changed. Once I get going, you know, then it's okay. Or say with a play, same thing. That first moment coming on stage, every play I've done, 
I've been incredibly nervous before I come on stage for the first time. And then you come on stage and you just, it almost kind of takes you with it. You know what I mean? But it's like, oh, I've got this. No, 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 no. It's always, can, oh, oh, okay, I'm going to do this again. Can I pull this off? Okay, let's see. Let's let's roll. I think it's fun when you can you can pretend to be somebody else and somebody that you wouldn't normally be. Or it's it's. Yeah. I mean, I think the coolest thing to be is to play a bad guy. Yes. I think the bad guys have better lives. That's, me. That's what I usually play. Uh, but yeah. Like, but. And how did that come about? I mean, I have friends who who get typecast as you know. Organized crime because they they look the part of what people think is a mafioso, but you play a lot of different characters. But a bad guy seems to be where you pop up a lot. How did that role come about? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, people. I seem to get offered these roles where it, you find at the end he's the bad guy, right? Like I did a movie in 2014 in Detroit called Paid in Full. I was a Detroit detective. It was about underage sex trafficking, right? You find out at the end of the movie that. I'm really working with the bad guys. I'm deflecting the the uh, <clears throat> the, um, the the inspection away from the truth, right? So at the very end, my partner finds out. My police partner finds out that yeah, he's what you're my partner. Why did you do it? Money was good, five hundred thousand. You know, I'm the bad guy. And then we wind up in a fight, and he he kill you know he kills me. Basically, takes me out at the end of the movie. And it's a big big fight so i don't know how it is but on the other hand i've done a lot of comedy and especially in theater so i can do comedy too but i seem to be more drawn to drama i don't know why that is but i seem to be more drawn to dramatic plays or films comedy to me is is interesting and i the series that i'm writing i call it a dark comedy and i get very upset as the writer when i give it to an actor and they decide they're gonna change my lines and I'm like, if you, yeah. it's like, it's like, no, if you do that, you'll ruin the joke coming ahead. Right. And I think that's why comedy is harder than drama. There's not a lot of, there's no flexibility, really. Very little, unless you're, you know, Danny DeVito or the late Robin Williams or, you know, you, there's not a lot of flexibility with comedy. Is that what makes it more difficult or less attractive times? I don't know. I, I'm an actor who I get my lines down, whether it's theater or film. I make sure I have my lines down because you have to respect the writer too, right? Because most writers, <clears throat> they're not going to like you changing their lines. You know what I mean? They're not going to. <clears throat> so unless they come to you and say, hey, Tom, um, which has happened occasionally, hey, you know what? You have a little leeway. You can in improv a little bit as long as you keep with the theme, right? But even then, I would still try to be on the mark, you know what I mean? And then maybe, you know what I mean? But basically, that's the best thing to do is when you work, respect a writer, respect what the writer wrote, unless they give you some leeway. That's how I work. That's how I try to work, too. As, and it's funny when you're on the other side as a writer or a producer and right. you've been on the other side of all of this, you're watching your, your project come to life. And you, you feel like you wrote the words for a reason and you want the actor to recite those words, but give them life. Right. Uh, because other than that, it's just, you know, words on a page and it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't just doesn't resonate as well as when you see someone do it. Um, when you are, when you're working and again, you've kind of done a lot, um, 
was there is there one role or one movie that you, it's like a passion for you that you go back to that character be good bad or indifferent you know whether he was a bad guy or a great guy is there one character that you look back at and you go you know what i really kind of like this guy well as far okay as far as theater let's look at a true west <clears throat> i did two different productions of that play one was in 1986 and the other one was 1991 and i played the same role and actually in both productions the guy who played austin stephen prince but we had a different uh, producer and a different mom in each production. But <clears throat> I love that play. I love the role. And actually, a couple of years ago, we were trying to do it in San Diego. And we actually had it pretty much set up. Uh, this uh, director, Terry Ross, amazing director, um, and then COVID hit. And so after that, you know, we had it, it got canceled. And after that, we kept talking about it, but then everybody has things going on. But anyway, I love that play. I would do it again if right people came along in the right opportunity. The other one is The Crucible oh. that I did. I played John Proctor, the lead role, and I love that play. It was on. That's that's from The Crucible. Yeah, it was on my bucket list, and I I got actually. I was doing Death of a Salesman at this theater. And after the last show, this guy came backstage and said to me, hey, I'm directing a production of Death of a Salesman here in six months. I'd like to cast you as Willie Loman. And I said, oh, I don't I don't know if I can pull that off because I was in my early 40s. Right. He goes, no, no, no. I've, been, I've watched you. You you know. Anyway, he convinced me to do it, which I was really happy that I did do it. It was a great experience. So those three plays. Um, I loved, and I would, I would do the Crucible again if that came up. But now, there's that, more there. You know what I mean? Well, there's a lot in all of those plays, and there's a lot of subtext that goes on. But here's the other thing: you did yeah. the play, and then you do that. You play that character. You play that character five, ten years later. You've changed. You're a different person than when you first did it. Does does it affect how you, yeah. how you look at that character again? Yes. When I did True West the first time in '86, that's a great play. I, I, I love Sam Shepard. I, I also was in Fool for Love. I was in Barry Child. production. Anyway, but the first time I did it, I went off, off the ramp, basically. I lived like this character. I didn't shower. I didn't bathe. I was, I was going around like I was this character, Lee, right? And anyway, so that's, that's how that went. A girlfriend at the time didn't appreciate it. You know, I can imagine. <laughs> no, she's like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. Anyway, but then when I did it in 1991, I didn't do that. <clears throat> but was it different? Yes, because I learned more. I understood more. I saw more things. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, it, it was definitely a different production. And I enjoyed it just as much. And I think it came off. It came off differently the second time. I think I think the interesting thing, like you say, about being an actor, about being an artist, it's a job you can never walk away from. And you're always going to be that. And you're always learning and you're always growing. And there's just never an end to it. Yeah. But as you as you get older and you gain more experience, I, th I think a good actor brings with life experience to that role. Um, and you, you're right. You see things. You see it. You see that character differently. You see when when kids are in high school and they're they're doing our town or the crucible i don't know if they fully grasp sometimes really what's going no. on it's something that comes 
older when you look back at it and you go, wow, you know, and the simplicity of, of, of our town, for instance, you know, that stage is very bare and it, it would certainly wouldn't pass a video game, but it's, but you've, but the depth of what's in there is just an, it's just an amazing thing. And an, an actor matures and I, and it changes your perspective. I, I'm kind of looking at things that you've done and you, like I say, you kind of run the gamut of all of these things, but you, and I thought you're real. And the person I'm talking to now and the person I saw on screen, it's like not the same person. I mean, you know, I would kind of, I would kind of walk across, I would walk across the street to avoid you in some of these roles, you know, but you, you've done a, you've done a great job of taking you as a person who's, who's a very nice man. I, 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 and, and people I know who know you have nothing but great things to say. And I look at some of the characters you play, and I'm like, "Yeah, dude, mm -mm. you know." And but that's that's just really a, a great a great skill to have. Um, again, it's like, okay, here you are. Let's talk about this. Okay, this is from a, a western called Siren. Yeah, and that's Jared, the director, and he was giving me direction right before we shot the scene and he was telling me here's what i want to see what like what's going on right now what what are you thinking about that's what that's what that was right before we shot this scene in having those notes did it change how you approach that scene um, or were you yes yeah, somewhat because well here's what, as an actor a writer writes a director directs and an actor acts right so my for me my job as an actor is to take what the writer wrote and what the director's vision is and bring what I have to create that vision. That's the way I've always worked. I gotta tell you, sometimes a writer, a, director. a writer and a director don't always see eye to eye. No. And no, it's, it, it's, it's interesting when, when mommy and daddy are fighting, it, it makes it hard for, for the kids to get along. I've been on a few sets where that happened, where the writer and the director were not in agreement. That's why I tell a lot of my friends who write scripts, especially it's personal, and maybe something they're passionate about, something from their life, you direct it. Because who knows the story better than you? Because if you go to a director, it's not going to be the same. No. You know what I mean? Everybody's, you know this, you've been around this long, but everybody's got their own vision of something, right? And sometimes it's nice when another person comes in and it's it's like, well, what if you do this? Or what if you do that? And that's what these notes are important. But one of the right. things I do like when I watch and I'm looking at the screen, um, what I saw in the work that you have, you have great facial expressions. Oh, thank and you. And it's, and, and that's, that's, it's not just the words, it's the body language that goes with it. And, and that's, that's a great skill. I mean, clearly you're in character here, but it's the facial expressions that, that say as much, if not more than the words that, that come out of your mouth. It, and how, how hard is that to, to manifest or do you do you even I, think about it i don't know i just i you know i i try to think about all aspects of the character physical acts aspects like what what may have happened in his life you know does he have any physical imperfections um actually i the other thing too i use music in my in my prep work i pick music that i think fits that piece that play that um you know that movie 
and I usually I play that music over and over again, right? So that that's part of how I work. I use I use a lot of different music depending on what the role is. I like that idea because I mean, clearly playing John Proctor and playing in a western, your character's going to move differently. Um, his his yeah. mannerisms would be different. I mean, you have to capture that somehow and that's not always evident in the script the script doesn't always say to an actor okay you're going to move very slowly or you're going to do this or you'll say something vague like you look mean like whoa what the hell does that mean you know and well you know this this is maybe a little bit strange when i did uh the crucible john proctor i studied i read a lot about that period right the salem witch hunts which went on which were real which went down i want to learn as much as i could one day I woke up and I went, you know, I said, John Proctor, I said, John, if there's anything you need me to work out for you, work through me. And that sounds weird, but that's what I said. So John, work through me, bring it out. Uh, because it, what went down there was pretty bad. I mean, it was based on what a couple of girls said that was not really true. And he wants, you know, he wasn't getting hanged because he won't, he won't, you know, agree that he was in in cahoots with the devil, you know, kind of a thing. So uh, I actually did that. And I, I think it helped my performance because I was really in that role. I mean, I was really in it. Uh, I know a couple of people thought that's kind of weird, but no, I said, hey, if you got something to work out, John, I'm here, I'm playing you, work it out through me. I think that's a good way of approaching certain things, especially, okay, now that John Proctor's character is historically based, you know, there's people who who know the story of the Salem witch trials, or people who it, it's 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 a play based on historical reference, right. and you're not going to be able to embellish a lot with that character. We don't know what he thought or felt, but we do know what happened. So it, I think that's a great way of looking at it. When you're working with a character that no one's seen before, it's I I think it, it, your approach might be a little bit different, or do, do you still kind of use that same thing? Well, first of all, Arthur Miller wrote The Crucible, right? And the Arthur reason Miller. he wrote it is it, at the time, the McCarthy hearings, he that was his shot at what was going on in the country. He decided to, whatever he came to, I'm going to use the Salem witch hunts trials back in the you know, late 1700s uh, as an example of what went on then, what's going on now. And that's how he wound up, I'm pretty sure that's how he wound up writing the crucible well the crucible is interesting again based on historical thing but go back and look at and this is what makes it cool arthur miller was writing that during mccarthyism during the time where writers and actors and all kinds of people were being you know blackballed and banished from hollywood and were forced out of their careers and it was it was again it was a hysteria that took hold it just right. happened to be a couple hundred years later it was it was a brilliant play and I and, and and you're right. I mean it was he hit you in the face with something, but you didn't really realize it until you you had to think. You know, and I, I like it when you think. I sometimes wonder why people don't do that anymore, but you know, thinking is fundamental, guys, you know. Yeah. No, the writing was amazing. There were amazing lines in it, uh dialogue. Um I I would do that play again if I had the opportunity. I don't know if I'd be playing John Proctor now little bit older but um i would definitely if it came if the opportunity came i would love to do that do that play again 
it's a great it it's yeah. there's so many great plays out there my my goal I, and i would love to do is virginia wolf i want to do that's a good one yeah <laughs> I'm, she's i'm 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 older than what she should have been you know what she would be but there's right. something about that role that, and and as an actor you fall in love with the character and, and again they're yeah. flawed i think the more flawed they are the much more interesting they are to play um, and, and that goes back. You play a lot of bad guys and whatever. I mean, they're flawed individuals. You, you know, it's funny. My mom used to say to me when she was still a lot around, she's like, Tommy, I, I don't get it. You don't, you play drug addicts, drug dealers, all these bad characters. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't do drugs, but you play all these characters. That, uh, that photo, that's from The Witching Hour, a movie that I co-wrote with my friend, Lizette Ben Ray. We co-wrote, co-starred in it, co-produced it. And that was based on a story from my childhood. My father was a longshoreman. We lived in tenement buildings down near the docks. And one Christmas Eve, this was in around, I was around five years old, so it's probably 53, 54. Anyway, it was after midnight. He wasn't home. And my mom was pacing around going, where is your father? You know, And all of a sudden, the door handle turns. And I'm standing there with him. He walks in. She goes, where were you? He goes, none of your business. She goes, it's the witching hour. Never forgot that. He goes, make me some eggs. No, get your girlfriend to make you eggs. I don't have any girlfriends. He tried to kiss her and she kind of pushed him off and, you know, and I jumped in bed, put the covers over my head. Anyway, I never forgot that. And then about five or six years ago, I met Lizette and Ray in an acting class in San Diego, Halo Cinematic. And I said, hey, we got great chemistry. Let's do something. So I wrote the first three pages. As it was, as it happened, gave it to her. She loved it, and we wound up writing a 20-minute short film about this. But we set it present day, and my character was Jimmy Callahan from Dublin, Ireland, and she was from a wealthy family in Mexico City. And we get married, and her family disowns her because she's marrying a poor guy from Dublin. You know. Uh, anyway, so we wrote it, we did it, we produced it. I won a lot of awards. I won my first Best Actor Award. She won a Best Actress Award in California. I mean, um, that's definitely one of my favorite projects that I've ever done. And actually, we're talking about maybe writing a sequel to it or maybe turning it into a feature. I, I don't know yet. We're, we've been talking about it. But yes, that's Jimmy Callahan. But again, look at the facial expressions. To me, it, I can see a lot in the character just by the way he's looking. And, and, and I think that's a great, great skill. And, and a lot of actors don't always get that. They don't capture that. or And they don't want to have a dark side. They always want to be Barbie and Canopy, happy, happy, happy. It's, it, it's, there's, it's not the there. I'm kind of the opposite. <laughs> I have never been cast as a girl next door. I mean, I just don't get cast that way. No one, you know, I, and you learn to live with it. But again, it's like what's fascinating to me is how you capture the nuance and you capture everything. So much is said without saying a word. And 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 you That's look true. at this, look at this photo, and you can you can see a lot. There's anger. There's sadness. There's frustration. There's all kinds of things going on, and it's 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 a subtle thing, and it's a great skill to have, and that's what makes, I think, your ability as a as a versatile actor to go from all of these things is being able to capture the nuance, and again, it's it, there's no words being said, but there's so much coming out at you. Well, what was going on? This was early in the when I first come home, right? Come back, and of course, it's after midnight. 
And she, the whole thing, what we did was we, we said, okay, I think she's cheating on me. And she thinks I'm out there coming home late because I'm with women, right? And I'm coming home actually to confront her about some text messages and things like that. And she's, of course, she's playing it off. And I'm, I'm just, I know in my heart something's not right. right? And that's what was going on in that moment. Like, what, what am I going to do here? Like what, and, and her, you know, hurt and pain of thinking she might be with someone else. And so that's, you know, the storyline is, say with my father, he called my mom his bride all the time. You're my bride. And she, my mom would say, I may be your bride and I'm done being your wife. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, but he, my father adored my mom. You know. Anyway, so we, we had that in, in the, in the witching hour. Where I, I say to her, hey, um, you know, you're my bride. And she said, ah, I may be your bride, but I'm done being your wife. I'm stuck here with you. <clears throat> but now here's two things that come out. One, that image, I'm going to put it back. There's a lot going on. You wrote this. You co-wrote it with somebody, and it was a very personal thing. You're yes. replaying bits and pieces of your life. Um how is that to see unfold? I mean, even though you said it in a different time frame, you lived it. You heard those words said as a child, and they apparently stuck with you for a very long time and caused you to to want to write this particular. Now you're watching it play out in front of you by two people, not your not your mom, not your dad. I mean, you were there, but two different people saying those words. Was it an eerie effect? Was it a nostalgic effect? I mean, how did you feel? Well, it was all that. It was, um, first of all, it was a dedication to my mom, uh, to my <clears throat> my mom and dad, because they both already passed away. They passed away in 2006. And it was a dedication to Lizette's mom, who had also passed away, who was a famous artist in Mexico. And at one point, we were there. We filmed it in three days, two days on a set in at Silver Dream Factory in Anaheim, California. They had the perfect new, old New York apartment. Anyway. About halfway through the first day, there were rafters up above and lighting, right? And I looked up and I said to Lizette, I said, you know, I, I swear, I think my mom and dad, your mom is sitting up there watching us. She goes, yeah, I know. I feel that too. I really felt that. I felt their presence. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're watching us. So um, I, I think that helped a lot. <clears throat> and we put a lot of work into it. Like we did 47 drafts. Of the witching wow it wasn't like we wrote it went okay let's shoot and the draft could have been a one line change it could have been a a, a, a short monologue change it could have been a, a word change but we worked really hard on that script and when we got it to where we were ready to do it we went and we filmed it and uh, lizette did a great job she was and she kind of looked like my mom too that was another thing when my mom was young so it, I, I think it was, you know, like it, it just all of that helped. It all channeled through. And I just know what I knew from growing up and how they felt about each other. You know, it was like, you know, it was an intense relationship, but they stayed together forever. until They both passed away. But when they were young, it was, you know, it was a little bit tense. And my father's a longshoreman. Once he got off the docks, which is around 19... 59 everything started to change he wasn't in that element he wasn't where he was shipping up on the pier and if it didn't work that day what do you think the guys did they went over to the bars across the street from the docks and they you know playing shuffleboard and you know getting drunk you know 
Oh yeah. That's the way it was. And then, I mean, I'll, I will share this. I remember times when my mom would take us down there to get his pay, his pay because they would put it in a brown envelope, cash. And it was like, get down there and get it before, you know, he gets, he gets drunk or whatever. So there, there, there were those kinds of things too. Uh, but you know, I love my mom and dad. I miss them dearly. I miss them every day. They were my two closest friends, two best friends, and they supported everything I did. As long as I put a hundred percent into it and I was a good person. You can be the best writer in the world, but if you're, if you're a terrible person, it's still going to come through. Um, it's just the way it is. I, I think people's personalities always come through um, yeah. and you can't, you can't hide it. You can try, you know, and right. you can put on the face, but ultimately the, the real person comes through. But the thing about being an actor is you don't put that real face on you. You take on a role and you become somebody else. And when it's a personal story, um, like a Bronx tale, um, uh, Chaz Palmieri did a Bronx tale. Yeah. It was, a, it was a great, and it was so, I mean, he, he, he played, he played him, he played him, he watched himself in, in something he wrote and, and having had the opportunity to talk to him one time, it was, it, it, it just was an intense feeling. Dennis Farina was the same way when he was talking, I had a chance to work with him when he did police story, because that's where he was. There was something when it's personal and you're watching it unfold, it's, it's gotta be a strange experience. And, an outer body experience. But again, when I look at what you've done to me, it's like you, you get into the character, you become that person. But what, what draws me in when I watch what you've done is the damn facial expressions. It, 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 that was from a movie called heartfelt. Detective. You know, you, you, there's something about it. There's, there's, you're conveying a lot without saying anything. And that is a skill. I worked with a lot of people who can say the words and they look really great. Okay. I mean, I could put a mannequin up there and it's, there's just not an emotion. What makes to me, what makes a good performance is, is not just knowing the lines, but getting to be the character. What makes a great performance is capturing all these little things, how the character walks, how the character talks, the, the, you know, how the character stares out at the world and looks at it. And you, you, you seem to do that pretty seamlessly. Um, well, when I did Death of a Salesman, I spent I, at least a couple, two, three months working on the walk because Willie Loman was supposed to be in his early 60s. I was 42. And by the way, Dustin Hoffman was 42 when he did, did the role. But anyway, to me, an important factor was to get the walk. And what I thought about was, because I was a sales rep, I used to carry bags around to show samples. And I'm thinking, okay, by that time, if I've done it all those years, I'm in the early 60s, I'm probably going to be a little, you know, hunched over slightly, right? A little bit. So I had to figure out the walk. And that was one of the keys to me, one of the keys to the character. But I worked on it a lot to where I didn't have to think about it anymore. It, I didn't just, okay, I'm going to walk this way. No. I wanted to feel it organically and make, and I would say the lines as I was walking, working on walking. And then eventually it just became part, you know, part of, of, of Willie Loman or my Willie Loman character. Was there ever, is there been a character that you've played that you didn't want to see end that you just wanted to see what's happening next? What's, you know, well, what's true, the next chapter? Yeah, true. Well, true West. Definitely. Oh. Um, uh, uh, actually, even in the Crucible, you know what I mean? Although we know at the end of the Crucible, uh, 
you know, he winds up getting hung because he won't, he won't, uh, he won't give in and, and say that he was in, in conspiracy with the devil because he wanted to save his name. That was really important. My name, it's my name. You know, I, I, I have to, I have to protect my name, you know? And, and so, um, I, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, okay, I did. Are you familiar with Eric Bogosian? No. One man shows. <laughs> I love Eric Bogosian. <laughs> okay. Well, I did sex, drugs, and rock and roll twice. And I did drinking in America once. Okay. Now, you know, it's 12 characters, one man show. I did it. The first time I did it was in 1991. A guy, a guy that I knew, this was in New Hope, PA, when I lived there. He owned restaurants in New York, but he wrote plays. And one day he used to come see me in shows there. He said, hey, Tom, I, I got I went to see the show with Eric Bogosian, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. I have the script. I think this would be a great piece for you to do. So he gives it to me. I still have it. With this note and hey Tom, I think you can really do this. Well, anyway, I looked at it and I went, "This is crazy. How am I going to do this?" But I started reading the dot, the monologues of the characters. And I went, "Okay." So I went to my friend Paul the Citra at Theater on the Towpath in New Hope, who uh, owned the theater and and produced and directed shows. I said, "Paul, someone just gave this to me. I really like this, but I don't know if I can really pull it off." I mean, that's almost 90 something pages of dialogue. And he looked at it and he goes, wow, he goes, I like, you want to do it? Let's do it. I'll produce it and direct you. And so it took about three months to work on it, learn all the lines, learn all the characters. I did one at a time. I would learn one character and get the lines down. Then I'd go to the next. And so finally it, you know, we had it all down. We set the dates and I remember sitting out in the parking lot before that first show thinking, what the heck am I doing? This is crazy. Because once you go up there, it's two hours nonstop. If you, have you seen it? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. So you know what I'm Okay. I am. I am Eric Bogazi. I have been. Yes. I mean, he's done one project so far that I really don't like. <laughs> okay. I'm not a big fan of succession. I, okay. I'm sorry. I, I just don't yeah. get that at all. But I, oh, but he was just an, an under the radar, amazingly talented person. Incredible and, writer. And, and people, I don't think people really realize how much of a talent really is, but that play was, it, it's intense and to have to, and you're right. It, it's two hours of, you and right. that's that's a feat that's that's an amazing no feat to have done. You know, you, right you have no protection you have the first time i did it was it was in this 100 seat dinner theater the audience is right on top of you so you have to really be in the moment you can't be thinking about the audience right there you know like right here right second time i did it in a big i did it in 1991 same, Paul Citra said, hey, I'm involved with the Philadelphia Festival of the Arts at Bucks County, and we're doing all kinds of stuff, music plays. Would you like to come and do sex, drugs, and rock and roll? This is in 1991, and I thought, first of all, do I want to go through this again? You know, <laughs> yeah, right? This, is, this, this will consume me for how long? Right. And so, but I still, I mean, I still remember a lot, a lot of lines today, which sounds kind of weird, but I remember a lot of the lines, a lot of characters. But anyway... I thought about it and I said, okay, I'll do it. So I went back and this was in um, 2006. 
And I did it at the big theater. And um, I actually, once I got back there and started rehearsing with Paul, I, uh, I was really like, you know, I'm really glad I'm doing this. You know, this is gonna, this is gonna be fun. Although it was more intimidating because it was a big theater, with more people, you know, but you know, I got up and did it. And um, they wanted me to come back the next year. They said, hey, would you come back next year and do this? I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> that's it, that's it. You know, it's a huge commitment. It's an intense, it's an intense situation. And, and like you said, we talked earlier, theater's different. You're up there, it's you. You make a mistake, you stumble, you fumble, whatever. Everybody knows. There's no hiding it. There's no cut, let's redo it. Um, the, the joy of film is, and every yeah. and you and I both have been on this other side where you go, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll we'll do it again one more time you know we can we can do another take and you know it, it, you don't do that in live theater i'm gonna it's say like, something yeah. it's probably gonna blow your mind here but i think film is harder than theater because well go ahead no i mean uh, to me like you say i my 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 foray in theater is fear um <laughs> and, and i my my goal and i had auditioned for a play and was given a role them pandemic hit so i never got to overcome that fear film um i'm used to because that's what i work in mostly um why do you think film is more difficult okay so and i've had debates with my friends over the years about which is harder anyway the reason i think film is harder is because even though you can do it you can do five takes ten takes right but every time you do another take you have to be in that moment again and you have to say it as if it's for the first time and make it believable. On stage, once you get going, especially like Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, that play, that once you start, it takes mm -hmm. you. Once you get up there, like this fear beforehand, like, am I going to get through this? Am I going to mess up? But then once you go, it goes. So there's no stopping, but it just kind of takes you. And to me, it just feels easier to me because I'm not stopping the momentum the mm -hmm. flow. That like makes sense. Yeah, you know, we're doing a movie. It's like, okay, cut, cut, uh, reset, uh, sound, whatever. Oh, there was an airplane flying over. Okay, All right, maybe do it this way. Give us, give us some of this, you know? And then you gotta go, okay, now I'm back in this moment. Okay, here's what's going on. Okay, and action. You gotta deliver it again, as if you're saying it for the first time. That, to me, that's incredibly hard. Sometimes I look at it, um, I'm from the Clint Eastwood School of Directing. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I am not, I've worked on shows where we've done 20 takes for the same thing. I worked on a, a series that was on HBO and I'm like, we shot 12 hours, basically the same one okay. scene, which to me was ridiculous. Um, okay. But I'm from the Clint Eastwood, you're going to get the best within the first two takes. And th that's how I, that's how I do it in, in, when we were shooting my show, we've done 17 pages in a day. <laughs> it's like people oh, are like, really? how did wow. you do that? I'm like, because my guys know their lines. Yeah. You know, I've worked with them. We talk about it. And I know their best performance is going to be one or two. Yes. Um, and so I kind of look at it. I look at it that way. But you're right, though. If you if you have to come back and repeat the same thing it it, it does it, it is hard when you think about it and especially if you've improved a line well i've heard that i definitely heard that about eastwood i know a few people that worked with him they said that's pretty much how it is now 
I, I won't say who. I worked with a director, three or four, one director in LA three or four times, very indie films. It was quick. It was usually one take, maybe two. The thing that was good for me is, okay, I don't have time to build into it. It was good training because I had to come prepared on the first take. That's how I looked at it. So other people were like, well, you know, why can't we? But anyway, to me, it was really good training because I had to bring it the first take. It wasn't like I no time to warm up. So to me, you know, whatever works is good. You know, if somebody wants to do 10 takes, I'll do 10 takes. If they want to do one and they feel they got it. Okay. Let's I remember I did I was I was on a set and I spent hours getting in and out of a car. I'm like, okay. It was like get in the car, get out of the car, get in the car, get out of the car. I'm like, okay. And ultimately when the scene was finally finished, what you saw was this part of my leg, you know, like from the the, the heel of the shoe up to your right. knee. I'm like are you kidding me? I mean, you know, but you, 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 you're, you're the actor, you're doing what you're told. Um, right. I, I like it when you come in and they, you know, and it's, I, I do think that your, your, your best performances are generally kind of at the beginning. Um, some people get tired. And, and the thing about being an actor, when you do so many takes, trying to remember how you did it is tiring. It's very tiring. It's very emotionally taxing, I think. <laughs> Well, here's the thing, too, and it depends on the director because you can come back, try to come back with the same take, and some directors want, they, they'll say, give me the same thing, okay, right? What you just did, give me the same thing on this take. Sometimes they'll go, give me something different, you know? And they may say, okay, here's what I want different, but they may say, just give me something different. Just give me something, you know? So just... It, everybody's a little bit different, you know, it just, it just depends. When you're on the other side of the camera and you've got an actor and, you know, we just went through this with something I was shooting and it was trying to pull something else out of the actor. You knew it was in there and trying to get them to go stop thinking so hard and just do it. When you're on the other side, is it easier for you to relate to your actor because you are an actor or I think, you know, I think that helps. Yeah. You, you, you understand how hard it is to be an actor, how hard it is to do it, to stand up in front. Like I've had friends say, oh, I can be an actor. Acting's easy. Really? Okay. Go get hired, get on a set. There's maybe 50 people around, right? All this equipment, right? They call you on the set and they go, okay, uh, let's, let's, let's do blocking. They block it, walk through it. And they go, okay, we're getting ready to shoot here. All right, you know, speeding, camera rolling, quiet on the set, and action. And in that moment, you have to deliver. You have to be in the moment, and you have to be believable as if you're saying it for the first time. If 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 you think that's if people think that's easy, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's hard. It's still hard after all these years. So we, I think I think there's there's that little bit of adrenaline that comes rushing through, and they're like, "Okay, action!" And you're like, "Okay, now I got to do something." And then you, you know, and everybody's watching, and it, yeah, I, but it is exciting at the same time. I think it's very exciting. Yeah. I I I love I love talking to actors and writers and producers because everybody's got a different take on it. But it's such an interesting profession to to be involved in. Um. It's, it's, it's so much fun. I mean, I've been doing it 45 years. Uh, there's many times when I wanted to give up, you know, I'd wake up and go, you know, I'm done. I'm not taking another class. I'm not getting another headshot. 
And then, you know, it's like, but the truth is when you get to do it, what is more fun? Uh, maybe hockey. I mean, hockey's pretty fun. No. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah you're an ice hockey player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I coached peewee hockey for 15 years in Southern California, too. I coached, I coached recreational little kids hockey for a season. You that did? was a, Oh, gosh. Back in, in California? In, no, in Massachusetts. I worked for the recreation department, oh, and oh. I had little kids. Well, these kids could barely skate, and they're on the sides right. of their skates, and the parents are like, okay. check them, check them. I'm like, they can't stand up. So, but, yeah, let's, let's just let's check them. Like, how about we learn, like, basic skills? Yeah. You know? But I mean, I, I'm a New England girl. I mean, we 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 oh, read really? okay. Bruins, Sticks, Patriots, Minutemen, uh, and in in Red Sox. And is a true New Englander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I'll tell you. I'll tell you my Yankee story. When, when, but when I was, you know, we okay. New Englanders. You know, the minute their team could be, they could have won a hundred games, but they're going to lose one. And every New Englander's like, okay, that's it. The season's done. They suck. We're moving on. You know, it's just New Englanders are always so pessimistic. But but that's another thing, though, is like sports. You get out there, you do it, right. and you make the mistake. Everybody knows. Yep. <laughs> You're not going to hear totally. the end of it. Totally. <laughs> you know, do you, do you feel like when you're playing hockey that you're 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 a little bit of an actor too, or is it a good release? Uh, maybe. I mean, now it's I. You know, I just play. I just do pickup and sick time. I don't play. I haven't played in leagues in years. You know, I'm too too old to be playing in leagues. But um, I love skating. I loved coaching kids. I've been playing hockey most of my life, and I'm thankful that I can still skate well enough and play. You know, to play. Actually, my big dream here is to play at the uh, Bridgestone Center where the Predators played, playing a game, like a pre-game skate or after the, yeah, that's my, I've been putting the word out here. I'm looking to skate and I skate at the Bridgestone Center. That's my dream here in Nashville. That's cool. And I think it will eventually happen. I, I have a feeling it's going to, it's going to come down. So that would be pretty, pretty fun. It, it's it's kind of like when you get to go onto your ball field or when you get to go onto Yankee Stadium and walk out there or you get to go out to, you know, Shea Stadium or Fenway Park and stand there and look up. It's like, wow, this is kind of a cool thing. And then it's also kind of fun to meet your heroes. I still have my Bobby Orr. Oh, Bobby Orr. Oh, Bobby. How many times did he kill the Rangers? How many times <laughs> were the Rangers winning 3-1 in the third period? Bobby Orr scored three goals. You knew it, and you knew it was coming. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing you could do. You just sort of watched and you're it. Go home crying. <laughs> I still have. I have my Bobby Orr signed base um, ball cap, and yeah. every once in a while, I think about wearing it, and I'm like, no, something will happen to it. It's like, and I still have my Tony Caligniaro rookie, rookie card. Okay, wow. You know, you know. I'm, I'm I mean, really impressed now. You know, it's, oh yeah, I know my sports, but it's it's kind of a funny thing, and um. But and, and it's like that's a, that's the other thing is like both actors and, and sports figures they get idolized for something, and um you know it, it, that's an interesting thing when you fall off that pedestal you fall hard sometimes and I I love it out here in Nashville, um we're both in Nashville now, right. Dolly Parton could can do no wrong I mean that woman you it's hard to find anybody who can have no. anything bad to say about her and she's she's maintained that for for how many years and she does return a lot to this community she's she's really very active with um giving back and that's that's a good thing and actors you and i are both sag members and sag gives an awful lot back um 
as as actors, and and that that's something to be said for for our union. Um, but I'm going to go back to you, and I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about this. Yeah, uh, I'm going to bring this up. Talk to me about this film festival. Okay, so the New Hope Film Festival was found was was started out as an idea at a breakfast meeting with my friend Doug Whipple in, in I think it was the spring of 2009. I went back, had breakfast, breakfast with Doug, and we started talking about the business and about how hard it is to get noticed. You know, I was joking around with him saying, I'm on the W list. The W list, you have Tom who? Tom who, you know? Anyway. I love that. We started, yeah. I mean, well, it's kind of like that, right? Anyway, but uh, we started talking about new, and I had lived in New Hope for about 10 years. And New Hope had a history of the arts, uh, antiquing, arts, theater, music, the famous Bucks County Playhouse, right? Which I lived actually lived across the street from for a number of years. Anyway, so it got to be where it's like, wow, you know, maybe what about a film festival, you know, in New Hope? And we started chatting about it. And, and um, I said, well, the thing is, I live in California, so um, I don't know, but I, you know, I think it would be a great idea. Anyway, I went back to California about a week later. Doug calls me up and says, hey, Tom, I incorporated the New Hope Film Festival. Let's do it. And over the next year, we spoke on the phone, you know, three, four or five times a week. The background was I knew this business well. Uh, Doug had been a child actor and then eventually uh became uh, uh, wind up going to the Wharton School of Business MBA, worked on Wall Street for 12 years. One of the most brilliant people I've ever met and one of the nicest people I've ever met. And we just, he had that side of it. I had this side of it and we put it together and we launched it in July of 2010. And here we are almost 15 years later, somehow keeping it going. But that's literally how it started over breakfast conversation. So what what does the film uh, festival concentrate? Does it have a special like some some festivals are short films, some are animation, you know, whatever. Is there is there yeah. something uh, that, that the film festival specializes in, or is it a little more open? It's a little of everything. We do feature films, we do short films, we do student films, we do feature docs, short docs, animated films, webisodes, TV pilots, music videos. That's a little bit of in, everything in all genres. That's cool. Yes. So what happens now? Someone submits to the festival and they're selected. Is there um, a, a first, second, third place? Is it just you know being part of the festival? How does how does it work? I I say I well, I can. How do I do this? Yeah. Well. Okay. First of all, if you were going to submit, you would submit through uh, a venue called Film Freeway. Right. Used to be without a box. Used to be the main one, but they went out. They went out of business and. Film Freeway became the main one. I don't know if there's, I don't think there's any others right now, but you would submit through Film Freeway to the festival and comes in, it goes through a process. I mean, Doug and I, Doug is the founder and chairman. I'm co-founder and director of submissions. And we had uh, my friend, Danny Seller. He's also director. Uh, my friend, Marion Spicer, who, when we started the festival, she became director of PR and communications. Unfortunately, she passed away about three years ago. So we have the three of us and then we have seven or eight other screeners that screen films and everybody inputs notes and we all talk about the films and, you know, we kind of get it down that way. 
so now how many films are generally in the festival in each category is there a it you know it depends you never know i mean so you know you never know how many submissions you're going to get i believe this year we had over 500 submissions i think something like that wow uh we'll probably bring in somewhere uh, between 100 and 125 films you know part of it is to uh angela programming there's only a certain amount of programming time right so and as being a filmmaker myself who submits the festivals and now having been on this side of it, as I say to my friends, it's hard to get into any festival, be it Sundance or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, because, and there's a lot of factors. You know, it could come down to, like I think three or four years ago, we had, we had about 45 minutes of programming time. There were three short films that were around 13, 14, 15 minutes each. And there was one film that was about 40 minutes, they were all really good. They all deserve to be screened. But we came down to, we said, you know what? They're all really good. They're all really well done, acted. We brought in the three because we looked at, we're giving more filmmakers the opportunity to be screened, right? Not that the other film wasn't good, okay? It just, that's, it was, came down to programming. And it's it's interesting how they do it. Like in, in Palm Springs, it was the film festival, right? And that and that is huge, right? Um, yes. And it's and and to get into that is is not the easiest thing. Um, and then you've got some of these smaller festivals where you you feel like you have a, a better shot at it, um, and you you're you're looking more at independent film as opposed to big budget feature film, right? Have you have you come across a gem in, in all the years you've done it that you're like, wow, we we really lucked into finding this film, this project? I mean, every well, you, you don't know what's going to come in, right? <clears throat> you have no idea. And and honestly, from the very first year, we had films coming in from all over the world. That's great. The very first year from all over the world. Okay, uh, This year, I think we've had films from, I believe, 12 countries. 12 different wow. Countries. Uh, really tough year. A lot of great documentaries this year. I mean, really interesting, powerful, well done. Um, we seem to get a lot of good documentaries. And this year especially has been um, an amazing year. And for documentaries, most of the time you don't know who the people are, right? Or who the story is about. But when you watch the doc and you're really into it and interested to me, that's a really good documentary because like, I don't know this person yet. Wow. I'm really interested in knowing this and knowing the story. It Documentaries are, are very interesting to me. And when I had this show colliding worlds initially, I had interviewed impartial documentaries. Right. Um, and it was, it was interesting when you got to hear the story and to meet the people. I mean, at one point I met the member million dollar baby. Yes. The, well, the the actual boxer that that happened to um, is actually an artist. Her her degree oh, really? was in fine arts, and I actually had the opportunity to meet Katie and to interview her and talk to her. That was based on a true story. Yep, except she not, lives. I did not know that. And she lives. Oh um, wow! Okay. And but when she came out of her coma, they had to teach this woman how to use a spoon. 
but one day her sister said she came in and she had a pile of, you know, eight by 10 sheets of paper. And she asked Katie what Katie, what she'd done, Katie Dollum and Katie couldn't tell her but when her sister laid out all the paper, she had made a mural and okay. she couldn't remember having done it. And it was, it was interesting, but when you get to meet these people and hear their stories and be inspired by what they did or didn't do, I think documentaries are wonderful and they don't, always get the exposure that they should. And these festivals like this is a great opportunity um, for, for documentary filmmakers. There's very few opportunities. They do not usually make big budget documentary films unless you're Taylor Swift or whatever. Um, it's just not possible. I, I think that's a great thing. Now, the festival this year is April 5th through the 14th. Is it an yeah. in-person, online? How does, oh. how does your festival work? Oh in person and online. Uh, actually, like I think last year we had some filmmakers who were from uh, other countries who did the online screening because they didn't want to fly in. So that helped. We, we started the online about, I think, three years ago. So there's both, you know, there's both options, but no, it's, it's, it's in person. And especially now that COVID's done, it'll be in person this year. That's exciting, though. I mean, yeah. it's exciting. So, if the festival time, when people make submissions, they go to Film Hub. They can look up Film Freeway. Film Freeway. Film Freeway. Um, and submit. Uh, like I said, it goes through a process. We and, and everybody has input. Doug has the final say. I have a lot of say in what comes in. Uh, but I would say Doug and I are on the same page about ninety-nine percent of the time. No, so it, there's entry fees. Is the entry fee based on the size of the film? You know, the, is it no. a short versus I was like all festivals? It's based on the early bird. That's when the fees are lower. When it's toward the end, the extended deadline, it's the fees get higher, and that's how all festivals work. With this particular festival, how so? You know, for 2024, I'm, I'm going to guess that the. Um, everything is pretty well set and already, or is there still submissions? No, we're still last Friday. The first was the last day. So we still have films that came in. We still have films to watch. But like yesterday, I spent about two and a half hours on the phone with Doug talking about numerous films. Uh, we'll talk again next Sunday on a, on a, on a Zoom meet uh, and review films. And uh, so there's still a lot of work to do. Well, I was home all day yesterday and pretty much Saturday watching films and inputting notes and, I, I didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I literally, literally, I, you know, I, so this will, it, it takes a huge amount of work. It's a labor of love, right? I'm not, you know, we're not being paid to do it, right? I'm just doing it as a labor of love. And uh, the money, the money that's made goes back into the festival. I mean, every year Doug is upgrading equipment. And we've talked about that yesterday. He's making some upgrades again this year to make the sound better and the picture better and things like that. So, it's it, a festival is a year round thing. It's not just like a month or two before the festival. And honestly, Doug is back there with everybody else. And he's the, I, I call him, he's the engine that runs the festival. And I'm a cog in the wheel. Oh no, Tom, you're more than a cog. But anyway, he's brilliant. And like I said, one of the nicest people. And he, he just knows how to, how to, how to make things run. That's that's having someone who can do that, who can handle the admin. And sometimes people who are creative are not the best on the business end, and it's nice when you can when you have a mix like that. No, the, the you know the, this festival is April fifth through the fourteenth. Um, yes. Submissions of this is we're shooting this in December, so the submissions for this year have um, 
probably it's closed. Done. Yeah, the submissions are over for this year. Yes. But you got you have something to look forward to to next year. And there's something about you can go online. You can, I have the um New Hope yeah, Film Festival. Go to newhopefilmfestival.com and check check it out, you know. You can you can you can participate online, you can physically go there. Um I like going to film festivals as as a patron and as an artist because right. I think they're a great way to, to meet people. Yes, um, definitely. They're a great way to yes. to network. If you're just a lover of the arts, it's the time yes. when you go to these festivals, you'll see things you normally would never get a chance to see. Um, I used to always gravitate when I would go to festivals to foreign films because when you live in New York, you can go see a foreign film. Right. So many places. When you live you know, in other parts of the country, it, it's a very, it's very hard, even with all the streaming channels to, to watch right. foreign films. Um, and they're, and they're a very interesting um, take on, on, on many different subjects. It's just a different right. variety. I always gravitate towards those um, and documentaries and sometimes um, animation, like my dog Tulip, I remember seeing, um, at, at the Palm Springs Film Festival, I was so fascinated. I tracked down the first edition book, okay. <laughs> which was written in like 1940. You know, but you, but you, but there's something about there's something about also meeting the people, meeting people who are like-minded, who are artists like yourself, and I think that's great. The fact that you're doing it, you know, that that's a lot because th these are these are labors of love. You just don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to have a film festival. Oh, I never thought. In my entire life, I'd be starting a film festival ever. Never you didn't. Never occurred to me. Until no. Had, un, no. Until we had breakfast at the Bridge, I'll tell you, Bridge Cafe in Frenchtown, New Jersey, right on the Delaware River, and that's where where it happened. Uh, you know, it, it, life is strange. You don't know how people cross your paths for a reason. You don't know. You never. You, it's like you never say never because you just don't know. You know, it's. It, it, well, you know how I met Doug. By the way, he wrote five novels too. He's written five novels. Other than that, he's completely an untalented person. <laughs> so a friend of mine said to me, he called me up and then said, "Hey, um, I know this family. Their son Doug. He worked on Wall Street. He's written novels. He wrote a screenplay from his first novel called Shadowfield. Would you be willing to talk to him and help him and guide him?" So anyway, I called Doug up. We started talking. Uh, he sent me the script. I helped him work <laughs> on the script with him. Anyway, that's how Doug and I became friends. And who knew it was going to lead to, hey, I'm coming in for a visit. Hey, let's have breakfast. Yeah, okay, Bridge Cafe, 2009 spring. <clears throat> and started talking about the business. And I was saying, yeah, you know, it's so hard to get work. So hard to get noticed, Doug. I'm on the W list, Tom Boo, you know. And it kind of went from there. And that's literally how, how it happened, sitting at this table next to the window, looking out on the Delaware River. You couldn't have picked a, an uglier place, right? I mean, you oh, had to favorite, pick. <laughs> my favorite, it was my favorite place. And by the way, and Doug did it. He went and incorporated it and said, hey, Tom, let's do it. <laughs> I think I think that that is a great story because this is how things happen. You meet people, you meet creative people, and you move on and you do things. I always say if there's Armageddon comes, you want an artist with you because an artist is going to look at it and they're going to see... <clears throat> Yeah, a piece of string and a rock. Oh, I can do all kinds of things. It's it's great. You, your mind always works in, in so many different ways. The festival again is April fifth through the fourteenth. Yes. Um, Tom is a really 
I'm telling you, I look at, I've, I've looked at, so I've looked up his work. I look at him. I, there's something about everything he does. And he's, he's a, he's a, just a genuinely nice person. And that was, that's what makes the rest of his work better. I mean, um, can I share something with you? A story? Yes, like you may. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> so this is a metaphysical thing. Okay. Now back then when this happened, I didn't understand metaphysics. I didn't understand how, what we say and what we think has power. Right. Didn't, didn't get that, that it goes out to the universe anyway. So when I was a kid, my main dream was to be a major league baseball player. And I used to go to the Yankee games by myself. And I used to sit in section 13 in the third deck over first base. And I used to look down on the field and say, Man, just once I'd love to be standing down there looking up. Okay, I used to say that all the time. Lo and behold, in 1983 in New York, I get cast in a commercial for Con Edison. It's a baseball commercial. And I'm going to be the pitcher in the commercial. So I show up for the shoot. The other actors, we get out on the field. They're setting up the cameras. The director's talking about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. And the guy who was a catcher said to me, hey, Tom, you want to throw some off the mound, warm up? Yeah. I walk out to the pitcher's mound in Yankee Stadium. I got my glove under my arm. I'm rubbing up the ball. I look up at section 13. And I went, oh, I, I got chills. My, the hair rose on my arm. Like, I, I'm looking up at section 13. Now, why didn't I say I'm going to be pitching for the New York Yankees one day? But that was a surreal moment. Like, I, I'm standing on the pitcher's mound in a, in a commercial for Con Edison. And the guy who was catcher came out. And he goes, Tom, what, what's up? What's going on? I said, I told him the story. I said, I used to sit up there looking down here, wishing I could be down here once looking up. And here I am. It's like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, Tom. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> so. Be careful what you say and what you think because it has power. I wish oh. I knew that back then. Well, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. That old TV show, What's My Line? They could never guess what you did because you do too many things and you do them well. I love that. What's My Line? I, I really like that show too. Oh my gosh. It was, I yeah. remember watching those again. Oh, that in Jeopardy. When the questions yeah. were only worth forty dollars, <laughs> you know, it's like. Right. But I think, I think there's something to be said about the power of the arts. I think there's something to be said about people who can go from in front of the camera to behind the camera, and then for people who are willing to devote their time to to something like a festival where it's not necessarily about them; it's about giving somebody else an opportunity and. That yes. is a great thing. And the fact that you and your partners have done that, that that's to be commended because most people aren't as selfless. And and I and may I, I thank this, you for that. May I say this too about the festival? The very first year we made a decision that anybody involved with the festival, we like I'm the only actor really that's involved, right? Everyone else they're not actors, but anyway, no films would be screened of anything that I'm in. Right. Or if I produce anything I was involved with will not screen at the New Hope Film Festival because it's about the actors, the other filmmakers and actors, not about me. It's not about the, it's about them. And why should the focus go on me? Right. With my films. Because and I've been to festivals. I won't say I've been to festivals in California where that was the case. Right. You OK. I'm not going to say. 
But we made that decision. Nobody involved with the festival, their projects cannot be screened at the festival. That's, That's because it's not a vanity project. It's right. it's a, it's actually an altruistic goal to have. Yes. Yes. That's it. Yes. And then sometimes people start these. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of festivals and, and as, as an actor, as a, as a writer, as a producer, as a director, which Tom is, I am, you look at these festivals and, and I will say, and the lawyer part of me says, look before you leap and right. you know, see what you're getting involved with because you, it's time consuming. There's a cost involved to it. And again, you're trusting your project to somebody else and you want them to make the best of it and to show you in a good light and the fact that you you know make a decision that this is not about me says no. volumes almost as much as this picture i'm telling you there's something about that photo that tells me I, a whole story that's and, one of my that's one of my favorite um photos actually that's a screenshot that's a screenshot I don't care what it is. I can tell the whole story just by looking at that face. And I think that that's great. And you know, I've met Tom and what you see is what you get. And it, and it's, it's nice and it's refreshing because there's no artifice. There's nothing here. And the film festival just is, you know, it's like the cherry on the top because I'm doing this out of the love for the arts. And it's a labor, it's a labor of love. I've spent the last two days here at home. I didn't go, I'm going out today to catch up on some errands, but you know, it's, um, I love talking about film. Doug and I especially love talking about films. And we, there's no, uh, everything, we, we talk about everything. You know, nothing's arbitrary. It's like, oh, let's bring that film in. Uh, let's not bring it in. No, we talk about it. We break it down. And the goal is to try to find a good reason to bring the film in, even if the film, say, is on the edge. You know, maybe the acting's good, but the cinematography's not good, or the sound. We want to find a way to bring that film in. It, it, <clears throat> so there's it's, nothing arbitrary. It's funny like that. A long time ago when I was in law school, I was on the admissions committee. Okay. And we would get the people who were borderline, like the sats were, eh, you know, whatever. But it was like, you would look at them and they go, like, there's something here. There's a passion here that it may be rough or maybe this and maybe that, but yeah. let's give them a shot. And then secretly you watch and you, you want to hope that these people succeed and right. they don't know that they were, you know, where they fit in the admissions committee, sure. but it was, it was nice to say they deserve an opportunity. It's not perfect and it doesn't have to be. And, and life isn't perfect. And I always tell you, if you don't have any scars, you haven't lived. So I think it's great that you look at it that way, that you give people an opportunity to, it doesn't have to be, you know, it's, you're it's, not from, the heart. it's from the heart. Doug is from the heart. Well, hey, look, like say the witching hour, right? The first 19 festivals we submitted to, it was rejected. Right. It's like being an actor and going on audition. You go on right. how many before someone right. takes you, right? No, it's, it's so you know, Zlat and I were thinking, well, maybe, you know, it's like, well, maybe it's not that good. Well, well, guess what? The next festival we submitted to, we get in, we it wins the best short film, best drama short. Lizette wins the best actress award. Then another festival down the road, it wins, it wins another award, and I win a best actor award at the, uh, it was at the Marina Del Rey Film Festival at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood, right? I was in shock after 45 years. I've been nominated for acting awards in theater, never won anything. And then I'm, 
I wasn't expecting anything. And when they called my name, I almost fell off the chair. Best actor in a short film of 200 short films that screened there. Like, wow. Took a few years, you know. But hey. it was more shocked. It was more shocked than anything else, you know. Hey, Grandma Moses was what, 80 before she started painting? I mean, there's always right. there's always hope, but there doesn't, you know, right. the, the arts are necessarily for the young and they're not necessarily for the old. The arts are really for everybody. It's just yes. And it's just a question of keeping your eyes open and your mind open. And the coolest thing about art, I don't care what it is, it serves a purpose if it gets people talking and they have a dialogue. Right. And that's and that's a great thing. Um, love, hate, whatever it is, you you know. Yes. It's it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is it got people together and got them talking. Um, and again, it's like you, you can watch the film in the dark, but if you watch it with somebody, it's always a little bit better. And a festival like this, I think, is great. Where you have also remember this festival, you have the opportunity. No hope, New Hope Film Festival. You can participate by, you know, you can go to the festival. You can participate and view it online, and you can kind of think about maybe looking forward to submitting something for next year. But Tom, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what you're going to do. And I know you and I are both getting our feet wet here in Nashville, but Yes. I well, I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm, I've met like I met you, I met you and, and John, I've met a lot of really nice people, uh, some good things going on. Uh, now the SAG strike is over. I'm expecting some good things to happen. Actually, I just, if I might mention it, uh, it back in June, I did a pilot called uh, Post-1776. It's about a group of veterans that meet at this VFW post and hang out there. Anyway, I got cast in the lead role along with uh, Vernon Wells. Anyway, we shot it in June, right before the strike. The guy who directed that called me last week and said, Lance Pollins, hey, Tom, I just wrote this movie. I wrote the lead role for you. It's going to be a cross between The Hangover meets My Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, gosh. And anyway, it's going to shoot in, in, in Orange County and out in the desert. Anyway, I, I can't say more about it than that. I, you know, made a promise to but basically that's it's the hangover meets my weekend at bernie's and he wrote the lead role for me so that's what i have coming up sometime between march and may oh, waiting to hear more about that and then as far as directing i have a movie called sins of circe it's a very very edgy faith film with a faith-based theme uh that we've been looking to film in uh wilmington north carolina and it's the script is done. Uh, the package is together. We have, you know, we have the uh, pitch deck and mood boards and stuff like that. So the guys in LA are starting to pitch it. But I'm going to, I'm going to be. It's going to be my directing uh, feature film directing debut, if we can get the budget, you know, like anything else. But uh, it's a really good story. It's going to be pretty controversial. Uh, but the bottom line, it's about faith, forgiveness, and redemption. In the in the eyes of really hard circumstances, right? Some Sometimes it's hard to forgive certain things, right? Oh, or forget, you know. There's there's it is, and there's the, yeah. there's something about the power of the soul that while it may hold all your memories, it it's that's why I think we have a soul to hold our memories, but it also gives you the ability to forgive, and it's not always an easy thing to do. Even, well, that's in, what. That's what's in this story. And the guy who wrote it, Frank Costantino, 
I had told a friend of mine a while back, I said, I, I really would like to direct a faith-based feature film. Now, I was approached maybe four or five different times in the last couple of years to, to direct crime dramas. But not that they weren't good, they were well-written, but they were just, that's, they were the typical crime drama. Anyway, she called me up and they said, hey, I, I met this guy, Frank Costantino in Austin. He wrote this script called Sisters. He's a really good writer. I, I told him about you and she connected us. That was back in March. <clears throat> the script was about 156 pages and I worked with him to cut it down. Without, right now it's about 120. Anyway, really nice guy. He's written four or five other scripts. Up and coming writer. He's this. I think he's going to go places. He's a really good writer. And we become friends and you know, hopefully we get the money. And hopefully I get to direct it unless you know they meet some other A-list director out there in L.A you know, that has the main value, but yeah, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. And I hope we can get the budget and do it. Although we may film some in Nashville now that I'm living here. Nashville, Nashville's becoming a hotspot for, and they're working yeah. hard on and, and fixing that below the line and above the line um, talent. And, and it's, it's a friendly place having filmed in different places. It's, it's a very, it's a, it's a very friendly environment if, yeah, if you're definitely. a filmmaker um, and there's a lot to be going on and i think it's great i think it's great that you know you always have a project and there's always something to do like i said there's it's something about being and quote an artist end quote there that you can never walk away from you can never leave because it will always find you <laughs> well you can't well, yeah, every, walk yes, away. Yes, every time i've said i'm done with this oh what? yeah that's what the call comes. The minute the minute you decide you've had enough and you're gonna you're gonna walk away from it, yet yeah, something comes up and it and I'll always remember it. it was like Andy Warhol said, "Art is whatever you can get away with," and there's so many things you can get away with when you work in the arts. And Tom, I think it's great that you know you do a lot and and you're a really nice person, and that makes it even if when you play a bad guy, you're still a really nice person. But that okay. you've got. All kinds of projects going. I'm excited for you for the film festival, and I'm looking forward to seeing you know this directorial debut. And well, hopefully, like I said, hopefully, um, hopefully it happens. I, I think there's a good chance that it will. We'll see. Um, can I can I mention one other thing here before we go? You can mention anything you want. Oh, it's okay. my show. <laughs> so I can't say a lot about, but I want to say okay. So I, a couple of years, about three years ago, I met this woman, uh, Ellen Wing. She's an actress, she's musical theater, she does voiceover. She also writes and she wrote a script. Um, I can, I guess you could say the name, it's called Longshore. Okay, it's based on a true story. Her stepfather was the head of all the Longshore for the West Coast of the US and Hawaii. Anyway, she wrote the script, she got it optioned. It's, I, I can't say, it's a top 10 director and it's a top five studio that's doing the film. And I'm up for one of the three lead roles in the film. And this started again. This is why, like social media, being on Facebook, being on Instagram, she was following me on Facebook. And then one day she said, Hey, we should talk. And we started talking. We became friends. And about a year later, she said, I wrote this project. It's based on my stepfather, uh, this really good friend of mine. Who, again, I can't say the name now, but this really good friend of mine who I worked with on four or five films. I gave him the script, he loved it, he optioned it, and we're doing it. And the role, this role is one character, Little Joe, you're perfect for this role. 
and I'm already advocating for you for that role. So I want to mention, because she's one of the nicest people, she's an amazing writer. This is a passion project, and this could be, after 45 years, this could be the biggest break I've ever had. So I, you know, I did tell, I wanted to mention her name on here and, and, and say, you know. You never know. I, I swear to you, happened. you just, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. You never know, you know, who's going to cross your path. And there's a, the six degrees of separation is real. And, and you, you just, I think it's great. I think it's great to have people, people, Hollywood people say, you know, ageism is, is alive and well, and it, it very well may be. I mean, I hit, I hit that 65 number and it's, you know, it's, it's harder to find work. You're 65? You, yeah. Holy cow. And, yeah. I, I, no, I thought you, no, I thought you were about 50, maybe late 40s, 50. Uh, no, not in the long, not in the long time. <laughs> but oh, okay. the thing about the arts is you can, you can, you, you never know where that project's going to be. You never, you just never know. And sometimes you create yeah. your own opportunities and sometimes they fall in your lap and, Good things come to good people. So congratulations on all of those projects. Well, you and know, again, let's can we let's talk about this age thing for a minute, right? Because it is true in Hollywood, right? Now, I'm 74. Now I get cast usually younger, right? Like 50s, 60. But the fact is, most of the roles are from 20 to about 45, right? So I know, I know what you know. I know who I am in this. I know where I stand. I don't have any aspersions, you know. I know who I am and what I am. I know my age range and things like that. And I'm just trying to do the best that I can and work. You know what I mean? That That's it. So uh, the goal has always been, or at least for the last 25 years, to be a working actor. You mm -hmm. pay for my talent. Star, movie star, you can't, you can't decide that. You know what I mean? Um, so that's it. That's what the goal should be. Be a working actor, actress, and be paid for your talent. I think that's a good goal. And then if the business takes you, like this guy, a guy I met in New York in 1981 in a restaurant, this guy, Rick Johnson, he looked familiar. We get into a conversation. It turned out he was an actor and he had been on guest stars on a lot of TV shows and, and all this stuff anyway. So he's asking me, hey, Tom, what are you, what are you doing? Ah, oh, you know, I started January last year and taking classes. I've worked on some of the soaps. I've gotten under fives. He said, let me tell you two things about this business. I never forgot this. He goes, number one, the business takes you when it wants you and not a moment before. And number two, this is the killer. The business does not care if you're in it. There's a thousand more coming tomorrow, Tom. So if you're going to be in it, be in it. Don't complain about it. It is what it is. Know that and just do it if it's what you want to do. I never forgot that. The business it's doesn't care if you're in it. No, and it's 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 like a stock. It doesn't care who owns it. But Diana Ross said, "There's plenty of them at the bottom," and so you can right. always just keep striving to the top. So I, it, you never know. And this is a great yeah. this is a great business to be in if you've got the stomach for it. You you learn hard. You know, you learn the hard, and you learn the good. You get rejected. Very few people make it on their first audition. Noah Wiley, who was on ER, the first audition he ever went on, he landed a role, a lead role in a, in a major series. But that was an unusual thing. And then you have someone like Harrison Ford, who was painting houses. 
before yeah. he had his first break. So you never know. And the thing about it is you create, you can create your own opportunities by doing things like a film festival, by writing your own yeah. projects, by being passionate about what you do. But ultimately I don't care how good you are. It, if you're not a good person, it ain't going to matter. So, and I think you're a good person and I really thank you for your time. My father said it over and over again, Tommy, we got to be good people. He said to me all the time. So whatever you do, give 150% and have integrity and do what you say you're going to do. You remember you said John Proctor was important about protecting the name. That's yes. all you got left is the name. And that's, right. and that's the way it, it is just the way said, it is. All, I, all I've got is my name. It's my name. I, I can't do that, you know, kind of a thing. Anyway, yeah. It's But it's true. And that's a great thing to be. And I and I think, and I like I say, the thing about the arts and about film, about television, about plays, about books, if it gets two people talking, there's a dialogue. And even if they don't agree, it gets them talking, it's done its job. And and that's and and that's the way it has to be. And And I think people like you who can bring these characters to life or behind the scenes or working on festivals, it helps push that dialogue and we need to have dialogue and that's, we're, we're learning, we're losing that ability. And I think this is a great thing. And thank you for having my dialogue with me and I hope I you have, have a well, great day. Great. I mean, I love it. I look, I, if I could be on set every day, I would be honest. If I could be on set every day, I would. Oh, you know, there were days where I was working like that and I'd be like, I'm exhausted. I just want to go home, take off right. my shoes and rest, right. you know, but, yeah. but, but I mean, you'd be I mean, it's so much fun. Right. You know what I mean? Oh my God. And the people you meet and the things you do. And yeah. it's a, it's, it's, a, it's an, it's a wild ride people. And, it's and you not never gonna know what's going to happen. Right. You never know what's going to happen. No, no, you don't. And it's it, when you least expect it, something does happen, but. I don't know. Like I said, one last thing I want you to yes. keep in mind, this festival is coming up. Tom's got other projects. I'm, I know he'll be back again. I want to thank you for being part of Colliding Worlds. And I want to thank everybody out there for joining us. And hopefully we brought you something you didn't know before. And hopefully you learned something and, you know, just keep trying. I mean, everybody's born an artist. It's really what you do that that shapes your world. So get out there and do something. So you fall and you scrape your knee. Guess what? do it again. Have a great yeah. one. Thank you all for being part of our world. Thank you so much, uh, Angela, for having me on the show here. I really I loved it. A lot of fun. This Have a great. good one. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Colliding Worlds is sponsored in part by CAMVR, home of the only one jewelry, accessories, and repurposed clothing. You can find us on Facebook at the Unique Jewelry Designs of Angela Valenti Romeo or on Shopify or online at angelavalentiromeo.com. Please contact us before making any purchase. Our merchandise changes often, and yes, there's only one. You'll never find yourself coming and going in our designs. AMVR, home of the only one jewelry, accessories, and repurposed clothing.